Welcome to The Difference Engine, the show for founders, funders, and the category curious. Don't confuse size, don't confuse valuation with category leadership. I'm not the only person frustrated by this. You disagree with my analysis. I do. You either acquire or you are acquired. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, and it's proof that you're winning the argument. We all know history is written by the winners. Designed in the 1820s by a genius called Charles Babbage, the original difference engine was an early mechanical calculator. Today, its name has been reappropriated for us to go on about something called category design. If you're fighting to successfully differentiate your tech product, service, or company, it's vital to get your head around category design. But why is difference so important, I hear you ask? It's because difference is the essence of category. What is category? Well, that's what our first episode is all about. A whistle-stop tour for the uninitiated. What category design is and how you can harness it. For starters, it's different to marketing and branding, but it's vital for both to succeed. You might be thinking, what the hell do these two know about category design? First, let me tell you about the man opposite, Jonathan Simnett. Cast your mind back, if you can, to the Bonn G7 Summit of 1985. This guy was making it happen. Rubbing shoulders with Ronnie Reagan, RIP, mingling with Maggie Thatcher, RIP. Did you actually meet them? Well... A story for another day, I'm sure. But back to our introduction. Jonathan advised the UK government on what their technology strategy should be for the G7 Summit. His thinking was all over the technology strategy briefing papers back then. That's right, tech policy in 1985, when mini computers, relational databases, workstations, web browsers, smartphones, data centers, and cloud computing entered the fray, he was there. When the PC became portable and a new category emerged, he was in the mix. Since these halcyon days, he's built a few companies and helped hundreds of others on their organic expansion, their mergers, their acquisitions, and how to adapt their categories accordingly. Quite flattering, Paul. But, you know, you've done more of something than I have, which is work on the inside of the innovators. Paul's actually worked for two of the Silicon Valley's category definers, Hewlett Packard and VMware. But it was his other inside job that resulted in Paul's real claim to fame. His work building Mercury to a $4.5 billion exit ensured that he's name-checked in the seminal book on category design, Play Bigger, How Rebels and Innovators Create New Categories and Dominate Markets. Does that make you a rebel, Paul? The jury's still out on that. Anyway, uh, together we run a company called Categorical, consulting with companies on category design. Companies who've gone on to raise £250 million in funding in the past year, in very tough times. You're in a safe pair of category hands here. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Paul. And welcome listeners to episode one of The Difference Engine. We're taking a look at how to get your category timing just right. And Captain Hindsight will be evaluating the success of different growth strategies. But first, let's start with one of the most common misconceptions when it comes to category design. So, Jonathan, 
We're asked all the blooming time, what is the difference between branding and category creation? Yeah, right. Well, I think we're going to get into nomenclature wars pretty pretty quickly if we go down that little rabbit hole. Um, but I always like to start with the, with the idea of a paradigm. They are the dominant technologies which make everything else happen during an era. So they set the context. And in this case, we're talking about tech categories, so we mean technology paradigms yeah so we're talking about you know 50 years ago it was mainframe computers 40 years ago it was mini computers then 30 years ago it was pcs then pc networks you know the internet and so on and so on you know they're paradigms they're not categories categories are things which sit within them that actually address what it is that the consumer of the product or the technology actually wants so the paradigm sets the context and inside that are categories which are ways in which consumers can interact with this technology paradigm. Right. So to put it simply, Apple is not a category. Certainly Apple not. is a brand, but Apple is a leader in the category of smartphones and also high-end headphones. To move it on from category to brands, mm -hmm. the interesting thing about Apple is in the high-end um, headphone audio device market, the, the in-ear app, if you will, they have two horses in that race. They're AirPods and Beats, don't they? You add up the two, the um, market share yeah. by uh, profitability, certainly, of those two products, and you're at 60%, 70%. They're extracting all the economics because they have two brands in the same category. Yeah, I, I just, you know, it's the simplest example, but it's a brilliant way that you can dominate a category both through organic growth and through acquisition. Confusion arises here because a lot of people conflate the leader of a brand with the you know the leader of a category so for instance zoom right you know zoom uh, was assumed to be the category they were heading there nicely on their way to being a generic as in hoovering uh, as in googling as in zooming unfortunately for them recently up on the rails comes microsoft and now you've got two brands but in this same online meeting video meeting type category so there's a clear difference here between a category and the brands that play in that category. Yeah, and I think it, it's also really interesting as to what you can do if you have a successful brand to expand the category in which we play. And, you know, Tesla's been brilliant at doing that. You know, they're almost synonymous with EVs, but they've put in, you know, rapid charging networks. They've got a very interesting dealership structure. They're doing big batteries and so on and so on. The, the thing which I think was the smartest thing they did was to, to give away the IP to the EV manufacturers. Right, that's something a brand would never do. A brand would always keep its IP. You know, Beats look a certain way and it looks completely different from an Apple AirPod, for instance. But if you're looking for a category lead, as opposed to a brand lead, you do big, bold category things like give away the patents to your batteries because you want the category to grow. You know that you're confident enough to say, if the category grows, I benefit. And now alongside that, you need to do some branding to make sure people remember who you are. Yep. But it's two different things. There's the category move and there's the branding move and, and completely you know, differently. And, and what that means is that those who drive brand and those who drive category are different beasts. You know, category is about the CEO downwards. It's about the whole board. Whereas marketing, you know, will probably own brand. So we're talking about a strategic initiative which underlies everything the company does rather than something which affects one of its products. So just to crystallize the difference between brand and category, why don't we talk about our work with Pantera? Yeah, you know, Pantera are, are in the security space. You would think that Anybody in the security space these days must be minting money. But the problem is the security 
space, there's various categories which have started to emerge. And, you know, it's really difficult for companies to differentiate themselves amongst all this noise. So what's happened is cybersecurity is a massive uh, paradigm. And uh, beneath that are these subcategories of, uh, you know, things that help with your email, things that help with uh, ID, things that help with firewalls, et cetera, et cetera. It's multiple, multiple categories. And and if you try and win out in a branding war, quite rightly, the buyers are going to say, well, what does this product actually do? Where, where, do I, where, where do I buy this in my cybersecurity stack? So from a category perspective, what we needed to do there was get across the differentiation of the way that the guys and the founders at Pantera had thought about the problem and how they'd solved it. And we came up with automated security validation. Those three words, they take a long time to come up with. And what we were trying to do was to encapsulate the idea that at any time using Pantera's technology, you know what your desired security status is and what it actually is. Because it's validated. And, you know, in a world where people are hideously expensive, you go out and try and hire a CISO these days, you better have a the fat end of a maybe a quarter of a million dollars if you're in the States to, to look for a, a top-end CISO. And they're, frankly, carbon-based people. Now, in a world of AI and robots and everything automated, that does not make sense, hence automated. And we as category designers, we're ultimately hoping for the best and delivering a nice category Obviously, it needs to be executed, and the guys at Pantera have absolutely crushed it. And so much so, we're seeing now a lot of uh, the analyst folks talk about security validation. We've seen their rivals use their exact uh, phrases, and 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 that's sort of that's a validation, no pun intended, of the work that that was done and the cleanness and crispness of the message mm-hmm. around the category. Yeah, I mean, validation is a thing now, and it's what it's what people are talking about, and that's great. Because the imitation is the best form of flattery. It shows that the ecosystem is building around the company. And just just to complicate things a little bit, that the company also rebranded. The fact that the two motions were done separately tells you, I think, that there is a big, big difference, as we started this section with, between category and branding. So if you're looking for a new brand, don't call us. But if you're looking for a new category, get on the phone. And now... Why timing is everything in category design. Okay, so as professional category designers, we're doing this work every day, but you know, we'd be pretty stupid not to notice that we've come probably to the end of one technology cycle and we're in a period of you know, strong consolidation in the industry. You know, the reality is in, ma- in many segments of, of tech, companies are just struggling to survive. So they might ask themselves, is this the right time to be thinking about categorization? And our view would be, absolutely. There's never been a better time to do it because if you look at the major category creators over the last 20 or 30 years, every single one of the leaders has been founded in a downturn. Just look at it. Microsoft, Google, you name it, Facebook, all founded when times were not good. Never waste a good crisis, I believe, that um, Churchill once said. Yeah, there's a new category in town or a, a new technology wave which spawns categories. And these waves of technology, which is pretty unique, actually, to the B2B tech space, these are the things that fuel the opportunity for new categories and, and innovations to be made. So timing is absolutely everything for categories. And there is a, a new category, Uber category in town. We saw the the hopeful demise of the metaverse and all of that nonsense that was going on for a very long time. Um, you know, nice work 
uh, Meta trying to push that, but nobody's buying Roblox is going to be the future. It's about real stuff, real innovation, real product innovation, which drives the category. And obviously the large language models, commonly known as AI, is the game in town. But funnily enough, this is not the first time that AI Fairness. has been around. Uh, if you're as old as us two, you sort of know that. We've seen in recent years key technology innovations which have come together to allow AI this time to be highly impactful very, very quickly. You know, and there's a number of things. One, have we got chip power to handle the level processing? Yep, we have tick. Have we got the connectivity to link everything together? Yes, we have. It's called the internet. Do we have the software to do the processing? Yes, we have. Do we have people with a need to be able to automate processes? You know, we've gone from the automation of blue collar right through to the extreme automation of white collar now. It's these things coming together at one time, which allows an entirely new category to be created. And so often, right at the beginning, an early leader emerges straight out of the box and without category strategy. They just get it right. The problem is they set the bar for everybody else. And the bar that's been set has been set by ChatGPT and OpenAI. And Microsoft have been quickly integrating it with their entire product set. Now, you can imagine what's going on at the headquarters of Google and other companies. They're desperately trying to catch up. The problem is they can't catch up by going, me too. Oh, we've got something that's like ChatGPT. So they need to have a different way of defining their approach to the Uber category that is AI. So just Stepping back, I, I agree. This is my, by my reckoning, the third rising of AI, which tells you that, you know, maybe there will be a time for the metaverse. You know, these categories exist when the timing is right and timing is everything. So the, the, the way I look at it in the eighties, when I was much younger and at university, a good friend of mine, Richard Hoptroff, uh, hat tip to Hoptroff precision timing was messing about with something that they called back then neural networks, basically trying to figure out the logic of um, making computers think as humans do and sifting information in the amazing way that we do, which is actually a form of categorization. AI then became, from the second sort of phase of its life, a almost like a science project where it's used for things like weather forecasts. And IBM famously bought weather.com and had a disaster with its Watson allegedly uh, AI product, which won a few games of Go and chess and then sort of disappeared. What's really happened here with ChatGPT is fascinating from a category point of view because it's captured the imagination of the public, right? And and what that's done is it's, allowed, it's opened up the amount of people for which this category could potentially solve problems to the world. And as you said, this, this has all been driven by technology. So the you know, NVIDIA GPUs and all of the, the products that can process this amount of information, the availability of the open web so you can go and literally process everything that's been out there so far and beyond on the World Wide Web, that's amazing. But that's made this the time for generative AI and category creations and you know, real life examples. So recently we are working with a company in, uh, and it, you know, let's just call it uh, extraction, the extraction industry. And the, the, the question, and you can read more about this on our, on our blog about uh, all mod cons, about how you take a category and subtly carve your little bit of a subcategory out of it is in there. And you know, the question we had from the leadership there is, should we think of a modifier and add it to AI and that becomes our category? Uh, note, not a branding question, a strategy question. Normally, we would probably say no. Imagine if you'd gone all in, for instance, on the metaverse, 
uh, something that's, that's pretty famously flopped. Crypto is another example. You know, people who completely went in on that, looking slightly foolish at this point, as, as they both sort of come into what the Gartner would call the slough of disillusionment. But in, in this case, given the strength of this category, this Uber category of large language models, AI, and the success of, of ChatGPT, which let's remember is only a subcategory of, of, of the large language models, it's the generative AI side of things for text. We advise them to, yes, go ahead, find a valid modifier, create a massive point of view, and carve out your bit of this Uber category, because it just makes sense. You know, logically, it's clear there's no denying we're not going to come back from this, uh, despite the best efforts of regulators, which we're going to come on and talk about in a sec, to uh, rein in the innovation and category innovation that we're seeing. Um, no, we, we, we've recommended that they go forward, and they have, in fact, gone forward with a version of AI, which is theirs to own. But as it's not public yet, probably keep that to ourselves for, for a later date. There's an important point here, which is they're talking about modifiers. And um, you know, what you don't do as technology paradigms start to move is just slap AI onto your product, just call it something AI. I mean, this is a bugbear for me because I literally listen to quite a few VC podcasts. And I have heard people who are capital allocators, VCs, professional investors that will uh, take money from pension funds and high net worth individuals and sovereign wealth funds. I've heard them advise people just to jump on the AI bandwagon. And I think doing it blindly when your product has got no relevance, when there's no innovation that comes from AI for your product is uh, extremely dangerous, will get you caught out. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a line between trying to get the goodness from the new Uber category and aligning it with product truth. And in my view, you always get caught out when you exaggerate. It's happened a bunch of times, as you mentioned in the past. Uh, the issue is, of course, after a certain amount of time, inclusion of AI in any category is assumed. Yeah, I recall a, a conversation over dinner with a large house one of the largest UK software firms, uh, and with the MD who was competing heavily against a SaaS competitor and trying to make out that it would be okay and they could re-engineer their products for SaaS. No, if the product's not SaaS native, it's going to be a hell of a lot of work. Certainly where acquisition comes in. You simply can't fetter your existing product going to build a category, you have to go and acquire it from somebody else. Just to round that off, that MD is no longer uh, in post and the company has suffered some some pretty dire straits from, from overclaiming, but um, one for another day, I think. Look, there's Captain Hindsight. Time for Captain Hindsight, the section where we look to learn from events in the past. So, Jonathan, there's a snobbery, distinct snobbery, particularly in Europe, about organic growth. We know why that is, because organic growth you know, has a nasty ending in Europe. There are less IPOs to exit, so you're always trying to get to organic growth, but then there's a sudden arch in the road where you've got to go IPO or not. And many of us, uh, particularly in Europe, are dismayed at the way, you know, real category leaders such as Arm, which obviously SoftBank swooped in for, and DeepMind, uh, which was gobbled up by uh, Google famously here, here in the UK. You know, they sort of get cut off in their prime. But, you know, if you look at the things from the US side of the, the pond, the category leaders there sort of don't stop growing and, and they don't just do it organically. If you think about some of the, um, you know, it's my Captain Hindsight hat on, you think about Facebook. It swabbled, swallowed up Instagram and WhatsApp. Google gobbled up DeepMind and famously and brilliantly 
captured YouTube early before people could really see the, the value. And our friends at Microsoft have got a bunch of acquisitions. The one that caused people to scratch their heads perhaps the most was LinkedIn. But recently, there's the deal with ChatGPT and the sort of shared value there. So are these U.S. companies overpaying? It's certainly, you know, to a lot of Europeans, it looks like it at the time. But to be honest, in retrospect, they, they look like pretty good deals if you have the vision and, and what you're doing is trying to build out a category. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we all know history is written by the winners and uh, deals which can look mental at the p- point you're doing them uh, eventually can turn out to, to be a really, really, really good value. The point you've pointed out here is essentially in Europe, you know, we, we don't really build category leaders. The last one we sort of really built was, was SAP in ERP. Um, I think there really, really is an issue here. And the issue is if you're going to go for category leadership, you are going to have to have an acquisition strategy as part of it because you simply can't grow fast enough or big enough. Now, a lot of tech companies in trouble is that because, you know, they've just been overdoing it. Yeah, of course they've been overdoing it. They've been overdoing it by trying to achieve organic growth by doing huge market grabs. Now, Certainly, the finance system in America supports acquisition. Certainly, the fact that venture capitalists have more entrepreneurs in as opposed to finance professionals helps. And there's many, many other reasons. But if you want a bit of good news, I was really pleased to see earlier this week um, when, uh, when uh, Janine Hertz, who's, who's the, uh, essentially the chief of Innovate Finance, which is uh, essentially an industry body for, for fintechs in the UK, came out with essentially a statement that said, we've got to start thinking about investment just for organic growth. What we need is investment for acquisition. Because the reality is you either acquire or you are acquired. It's binary. It's well one way. It's going to happen sooner or later. So good shout out to Innovate Finance. Well done. A good start. So speaking of hot areas, you know, Europe's famous for being hot in fintech of late. And certainly we have in Adyen out of Holland, a, a global leader in payments. And uh, the two lads from uh, Limerick uh, in Ireland founded Stripe, which until recently was the largest unicorn in Europe and embedded finance developer friendly platform, more like Visa than, than let's say Silicon Valley Bank. But if you look at the valuation there, the, the one could be very scared. So, so they went from a 95 billion valuation to recently down to 50 billion which some have said very cruelly, oh, Stripe's missed its, its shot. We don't think it's missed its shot because the last time I checked, 50 billion is a large amount of change in any market. So there are certain companies here that are really potentially absolutely category leading. And the UK has led in digital banking for some time uh, in terms of innovation. Uh, the Bank of England gave out almost no banking licenses for uh, the best part of a century. It has issued 37 new licenses since the economic crisis in 2008. Now, what has that spawned? Um, Neobanks and financial app companies. But if you notice the difference between uh, a neobank, which is essentially a bank, um, digital bank, versus Adyen, Stripe, uh, and even you can argue uh, checkout.com, if you look at the difference between those those guys, you, some people are trying to replicate what is already existing, and other folks are really thinking about what category, new categories they can build. And I think that's a matter of some pride for us, and I think we should um, we should really take pride in that, rather than uh, the other side of the house, which is to to sort of say, oh, 
look look how much the devaluations have gone. Let's remember, evaluation is irrelevant till you crystallize it. We can take pride in it. And the other view would be is that anybody that thinks um, neobanks are a category is wrong. And if you look at our blog on uh, paradigms, then that explains why we, why we actually believe that. Indeed. So, so I would encourage you to uh, look at the B categorical LinkedIn site and definitely the blog has got a lot more detail on this and, and it does sort of work as both that there's a confluence of valuations which are guesstimates at best. Um, and, and slightly worryingly, we, we noticed recently a British tech company that has, at this time in the cycle, as if this is the right time to do it, talked about doubling its valuation and taking it into unicorn territory. Well, you know, brave move and uh, it's, it's a company that we found as we, we deeply respect. However, Imagine that you are selling to that company that's just put out very bravely that its valuation is doubled. You might not be prepared to give it the discount that you once did. Imagine being an employee of that company and thinking that your stock is worth twice of what it was 18 months ago. You might not be uh, as prepared to, to sort of to, to work as hard as, as perhaps you did because you, you've got quote unquote money in the bank. I think it's just a very interesting time to focus on valuations when the job here is to build categories. And so what we say here is don't confuse size, don't confuse valuation, category leadership. Yeah, and if you're going to put a whole lot of money into a company which is an AI company, absolutely make sure that it has category domination potential. Otherwise, a whole load of money will just go missing. When all boats are rising, the category piece seems to be off to one side because the funders can afford to fund multiple players in a category. Now, when when, when the VC's uh, funding's gone down, which has dropped like 38% in the last quarter or whatever, then what happens is you need to have a differentiation strategy that says, we're most likely to win this category. So if I'm a, a, a funder that's taken a risk and funded five people and only one's going to win it, that's when I need to focus. But before then, when money's free and it's, it's flowing like rain, the category piece doesn't really matter as much. But when... It gets serious when the tide goes out and you see who's swimming without the pants. You need to be in a dominant position in the category. Captain Hindsight strikes again. Great. So more about all of these topics next time. We think it's a very interesting time to be building categories, as we said. We think it's the perfect time to be building categories. Uh, but we'd like to, to fill you in on a little bit more of the how and follow up with some of the leaders that have actually conducted category design at global scale and later episodes thanks for all your time today and look forward to seeing you next time see you soon bye